Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Give me a little sample of that keyboard magic. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's Monday, which means it's time for the Front Free Football Podcast with me, Adam Bolt, with the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Hello. And of course, Chris Hennage. Evening. Dave, not with us this evening. Uh, unfortunately, he's having a time of his life in Croatia, I believe, at a music festival, uh, sunning himself, doing all sorts of stuff to himself as well. So send him a nice message. Wow. You know. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave Maybe it up to imaginations. He was the youngest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Dave, hashtag, hashtag fun in Croatia. Hashtag yeah. I am send him some Croat. Send him some hashtags. Send him some fun and games on Twitter. Um, but anyway, guys, thank you so much for joining us. We are here this evening to talk about so much in the last week in the world of football. Not only Wayne Rooney returning to Everton. Romelu Lukaku joining Manchester United for £75 million. Uh, we're also going to be talking all the transfer rumours from the past seven days, as well as answering your questions. Stephen Housem will also be joining us to talk Rooney's legacy and Red Rom. Is that the hashtag that Manchester United came up with, I think? Is that right? It it's, was it's clever, isn't it? Cause it's sort of horse-based. It's also sort of... It sort yeah. of made me think of The Shining. You know, red rum, murder, backwards. So it kind of conjured up quite dark images for me personally. Maybe I'm just taking it the wrong way. I didn't quite get it. I, I don't think they're going for the dark. I yeah. mean, the, the well, photos were uh, sun-bleached Hollywood. But I um, guess we'll never know. Let's start then by talking about Everton, guys. Wayne Rooney. Returning to Goodison Park, the big story of the weekend. Uh, I believe Manchester United waived their fee for the player, Chris. Maybe that's not so surprising. Uh, 150 grand a week is apparently the pay cut uh, that he's uh, he's reduced his salary to. What do we think of this move? Because I mean, obviously there's a sentimental value to it off the pitch, but on the pitch, does it does it really make sense? Well, I'd rather want to play him at forward, so. It's so difficult. Because oh, what an accurate description. Well, I mean, like, instead of, like, number 10 or left, or, I mean, he's even played in midfield at times, so he's, he's quite versatile, but they want to play him as an out-and-out striker. And I, and I said the other day, to me, Everton remind me a little bit of Man City circa 2007-2009. And, and what I mean by that is you can see where they want to go, but the pathway from where they are to where they want to be isn't so clear. So they're signing a lot of players that I think 
are not proven top four quality. So it likes a Pickford, Keane, Clarsen, Sandro. Some of them could turn into that quality like they did for City with Zabaleta, company, Hart. But you're also a little bit concerned that they could get lumbered with a, a Rocky Santa Cruz type signing that on paper looks very good, but actually doesn't transfer their their form and, and their ability to Everton with them. I think with Rooney, there's a, there is at least an element of this is a really big name player that will sort of stamp our ambition onto the situation. And it may even convince some players to take them more seriously because it's a hefty financial commitment and they haven't looked to blink at it. Um, the, the only slight concern I've got is they've just taken a, a heck load of goals out of their team in, in selling Lukaku and, and there's no guarantee that, that Rooney puts up even similar kind of numbers. Um, in a team that I imagine won't be as as geared towards him, maybe as as Manchester United was. So it's it's certainly a risk. But then in saying that, Everton have to take that risk to get to where they want to be. I just struggle to see where he's going to fit in, even if, as Chris says, they play him up front. I mean, they've just signed Sandro Ramirez for five million. You know, if he's on form, if you know Yannick Bellassi's back, uh, you know, firing on the left-hand side, if Ross Barkley's filling that sort of number 10 role, you know, let's talk of Gilfie Sigurdsson joining the club now. Where does Rooney fit into that uh, fit into that system, especially when, you know, is he someone who can really play at the tempo that Koeman demands? Well, I mean, unless they pay a lot of money for Sigurdsson, it doesn't look like they're going to get him. Um, and apparently he wants to stay at Swansea unusually, um, or maybe usually. Uh, I mean, he, it's the old trope of his adaptability, I guess, which people are going to throw out. I still think um, he's probably being brought back for off-field experience, maybe someone who brings something else to the club, the ambassadorial role of being Wayne Rooney. Um, and and that, again, with sort of football taking from other sports, uh, maybe they're going to look at him as a bit part player, substitute player, someone who can have an impact or someone who can leave from the start and be bought off later. Um, but have an effect in a way which... Maybe it isn't necessarily the traditional, uh, you know, spread him over 90 minutes sort of thing. Um, I also think we're probably going to see Wayne Rooney put in a different fitness regime. Um, unless, of course, he comes with his own regime that he's already bought. Um, but I'll be interested to see what, what Kuman does with him. Don't forget, I mean, Kuman comes from a country where pace isn't always um, the, the number one, the number one um, uh, trait that they look for in a football player. So... You know, I mean, maybe we'll see uh, some of Wayne Rooney's intelligence and maybe a change in environment um, and maybe also change in status, big fish, pond, etc. Um, affect him positively. Would you agree with that, Chris? I mean, it's hard to argue that Rooney's peak years are behind him, but there is a place from Everton. It could be an effective signing. I, th- I think, of, co- of course, it could be. The good thing is, in theory, he'll have speed around him. So he'll have potentially Balassi, Morales may be in there as well. I don't think Sandro's a, a slouch. So as as long as with a player like him, and I think arguably the same applies to Klaassen, if I'm honest, you, you need to put speed and movement around them so that they can take up space and so space is created for them. Um, with that said, I still think he possesses a high level of quality. I think that the evaluations on his last season at Manchester United were at times over the top. Um, because I think we are uh, often forced to to meander between poles when eva- evaluating players. 
the thing is, it's it's just good energy though as well. In terms of, he clearly means a lot to the club. They they mean a lot to him as well. And I think he even touched on that that he knows he has his doubters and things like this. So you've got a motivated Wayne Rooney. That that to me doesn't sound like the the worst thing to have. The the only curiosity I have at this stage with Everton is how all of those players potentially fit in there because. If he goes three at the back, then okay, he can accommodate Keane, Williams, and, and Holgate theoretically. You've also got Tom Davies in there who has to try and get past uh, Garner Gabe, Schneiderlin. Now, I totally understand if Everton fans are pointing to the fact that there'll be injuries and suspensions, but realistically, someone like Tom Davies, who's just had a great season, you would want to maintain the continuity of him playing regularly because that's what's developed him so much more than than anything before in terms of youth football and and that's the one i think that's the one challenge that that Coleman will have to manage the more players he brings in because there's talk he wants another two or three is, is how he keeps everybody happy first and foremost but also how he manages their their game time individually and then collectively as a team going to be very interesting to see if this one does come off uh, to see whether you know a fresh start for him, we'll see him rediscover, rediscover his fire, rediscover his touch. But overall, Lawrence, do you think the signings, the the movements that Everton are making in the transfer market, do you think they're of the caliber or of the level that are going to see them challenge for a top six, top five, top four finish next season? Um, I mean that's going to be tricky. I'd be interested to see how he deploys them. First of all, based on signings, I mean they've let. Arguably their best player go from last year. Uh, you know, Kristen's already evaluated the new signings in the squad. They'll let him play the style of football he wants to play better. But I also think that we'll probably see other managers improve more with their other signings. And we already saw Everton way too far on the periphery. I think they'll have a good run. They'll probably scare a few people above them. And they'll definitely take some scalps because of the way that Kuman's going to play. I ultimately don't think they'll finish in the top four unless they make some massive signings I mean Sigurdsson would certainly be a step but even then you know I mean Van Dijk is one of the names that's been uh, been touted around but I think that's just more Evertonian banter than anything else classic transfer banter I don't know where Sigurdsson would fit in though seriously if you think about it because you've got Barkley in there as well like it's I mean there's being stacked and then there's just you know what I also think there's a preference away from Barkley though really realistically isn't there well but yeah if, if Everton you know, if the reports are to be believed, they're asking fifty million for him. Cumin wants to to get rid of him. Um, so yeah, maybe they can raise the funds there to to sign Sigurdsson. Let's talk to Stephen Housen now, anyway, to get his thoughts on Wayne Rooney leaving Manchester United and what his legacy is at Old Trafford. Right, I'm here now with uh, Mr. Stephen Housen, star of the Stephen Housen YouTube channel and Full Time Devils. I, uh, I could agree with that, yeah. Um, it's only half an hour later than you said he was going to be. Yeah, listen, let's not make a big deal out of that. The important thing is that you're here now, Stephen, um, because I couldn't think of anyone better to get on the podcast in the absence of Statman Dave, who's in Croatia, to talk about Manchester United. It's been a big weekend in the life of the Old Trafford Club this mm. season. Uh, first off, we've got to talk about Wayne Rooney. Uh, we've just talked... Myself and Chris about how you know how he could fit in at Everton, how it's sort of a sentimental return. But in terms of Rooney leaving Manchester United, you know, this is a player who's been there for 13 years now, uh, 559 appearances, 253 goals. He's won five league titles, the FA Cup, the Champions League. He's won it all essentially at Old Trafford. But how, as a Manchester United fan, 
do you think he's going to be remembered? How have fans reacted to the club's all-time highest goal scorer leaving the club? A lot of questions there, um, rather than just one straightforward one. I, I think is I like to just you know throw in twenty questions and let you try and sort out the mess. Yeah, just figure that shit out. Right. So I, I think you got to look at. You have to be able to separate what Wayne Rooney did on the pitch and what Wayne Rooney didn't do off the pitch or what he did do off the pitch. And I, I don't think you can completely separate them and look at them independently. I think Wayne Rooney... <laughs> it's mad because you're going to say Wayne Rooney didn't look after himself and arguably didn't have the career that he could have had. But then you also, you reel off what he did do in his career and you go, well, it wasn't bad, was it? Let's face it. I mean, he's had a dream career compared to some. He's going down as the United's all-time leading goal scorer and England's all-time leading goal scorer. And if it wasn't for any of the class of 92 lads, he'd be the most successful Englishman about, I think. I think he's won more titles than John Terry, am I right? If not equal. So I, uh, I think he's had a wonderful career. Um, we look at him at 31 and assume he's the same as all other 31-year-olds, and the fact is he's not. You have a career of, what, 10, 12, 13 years at the top, most players, breaking in at 20, 21. So Wayne Rooney really should be looked at as a 35, 36-year-old um, because that's the sort of mileage that he's got on his clock. Wayne Rooney at one point, I think, was arguably like third, fourth, fifth best player in the world. Undoubtedly, he was an absolute force of nature. He was a joy to watch. He made things happen. I think he suffered a little bit from never really having a, a position that was his. Like you could say, this guy's a number nine, this guy's a number eight, this guy's a number six. You just sort of had to put Wayne Rooney in your team and hope that everything else fit around him. Uh, and I, I don't like when people say he sacrificed himself for the team. He didn't. You know, it was he was a paid professional to go, and he was paid to go and do a job, and he did it very well for a number of years at the highest highest level. Uh, and I think Sir Alex Ferguson's attempt to get rid of him when he retired, in hindsight, might have been the time that he probably should have gone from United, because he didn't really add to his legacy. Except he he did get over the line with the gold record, but he wasn't really he didn't steamroll over the line, did he? I mean. He, he kind of limped to that number at the end Very of the much day. so. I mean, but he's, he's still got there, you know. He's, he's of course he did, yeah. And uh, people are like, wouldn't it be great if Rashford broke it? And then you actually look at the achievement that's required to do that. In fact, Rashford on both levels, because I mentioned to someone the other day, Marcus Rashford's played 71 times for Manchester United. And he only broke onto the scene like less than 18 months ago which is an incredible number of games. He played the most matches for United last season. And someone said, wow, he must be, I wonder where he is in relation to like gigs. So I did the adding up and I was like, right, well, he needs essentially 18 seasons of 50 games a season to get anywhere close to what Ryan Giggs has got. <laughs> and you're like, that's insane. And then you try and think, oh my God, what did, we, what did Giggs do? Like, how the hell did he amass so many games? And by the same rule... <laughs> If Rashford wants to break Wayne Rooney's record, he's going to need to score 24 goals a game for the next 10 seasons. 24 goals a game would Sorry, be pretty, uh, a, pretty a sensational. Season. be pretty sensational if you manage that. If he scores um, 24 a game, he'll probably do it by the end of the season. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, I mean, it's interesting the, what you bring up there, sort of the, the, the tactical sense that you know he struggled to find his best position potentially at Manchester United. Um, like you say, sort of shifted all around the pitch. I mean, regardless, there does seem to be this sort of lack of affection almost for Wayne Rooney. I mean, I was almost surprised to see quite a sort of sentimental outpouring towards him from Manchester United fans on Twitter uh, after the move was confirmed. 
do you think you know of course i mean you alluded to it earlier the whole sort of sagas when ferguson one sort of tried to force him out of the club two when in 2010 he sort of tried to leave potentially to manchester city those incidents sort of soured his relationship with the fans but maybe time as a healer means that you know with some distance absence makes the heart grow fonder all that people will be able to respect and appreciate his legacy more now he's left given time i think you're right i'm i'm I don't want to say I'm glad he's gone because that sounds like I hate the guy and I really don't, even though there's some people that really do think I've got a massive agenda against the guy. I haven't got any agenda against him. You know, Several years ago, Rooney was one of my favourite players at the club. I love that attitude. I love the aggression. I love that raw emotion that he used to play with. But that player, I mean, do you know what really hit it home when you was watching, when he broke the England record, when he got his 50th goal for England and they show all the, the replays and the highlights and you're like, that player hasn't played for England or United for a long time, the guy that's doing most of this stuff. He's been a passenger in a team for the longest time. And I think that's why we, when I said he should have gone when Ferguson went, he'd have been remembered a lot more fondly and not for the passenger that he became in his latter years. Because he was absolutely fantastic at the time. And for me, and this is, I only speak for me, I don't speak for anybody else, but for me, I don't care about the first transfer request. And I don't care about the second transfer request. He questions United. I mean, all right, maybe he threatened to go to City. I don't know that. That could be propaganda. What I do know is that Manchester United didn't have the ambition. And if he was questioning the ambition of United at the time, then he was correct to. Because we just saw Cristiano Ronaldo, a Ballon d'Or winning player that had helped us get to Champions League finals and win a Champions League. And we replaced him with a free transfer, Obertan, and, um, and Antonio Valencia. All right, Valencia might have gone on and won player of the year the following season. It's not the point, is it? I mean, what other club at the top of the peak of their powers is going to do that? And Ferguson probably covered up for the Glazers a lot at that time because I don't think they was interested in investing in the club in the slightest. We had a, a we had a, a profit made from transfers from the time that they took over in 2005 to that post-Ronaldo, and that's not right. We should have been investing in the team, and that's why we've required such massive investment now. And all right, some of those have gone wrong. Some of those have been um, poorly managed. And the fact that we've had to go through several managers, it's not been ideal. We've, we have had a, a rocky period at United. And maybe it's been a good thing that we've had Wayne Rooney there and maybe he's suffered as a result of that. And mm. I don't know. I think that, that that initial transfer request, I think he was within his right to question United's ambition because I was. A lot of fans were, yeah. A lot of fans yeah. were at the time. He was giving voice to that, really. And I think the the second one, when Fergie was going, if he didn't know Fergie was leaving, and he he was just getting chewed out in training on a daily basis, because if you read Fergie's book, it does sound like he was a bit of a spiteful arsehole at times. And I imagine he was making his life a misery, dropping him for the big games against Real Madrid, dropping him randomly, coming out and saying stuff in the press, right or wrong, he was coming out and saying... It was, it was the total antithesis of what Fergie was for his entire United career, talking to the press about transfers and about players being unhappy. Now, I got told off one of the old players, Lou Macari, that Fergie wanted um, Rooney out and Moyes was told the plan was to get rid of Rooney and Moyes decided to go against it. He thought he knew better, thought he would get the fans on side by giving Rooney a new deal and giving him a contract. That was what Moyes decided to do. Didn't really work out that way. <laughs> I, I don't think it did. No, I think I think he would have been better for Rooney if he'd have left. 
in uh, 2013, and we could have looked back on him um, as being a wonderful player and not really becoming the bit of a headache that he sort of became. And do you know what greats is that it's very easy to take to United, I think. It's very easy if you're Wayne Rooney on 300 bag a week to hire an intern for fuck's sake to just tweet out some shit, right? If you're not on Twitter, you're not on Twitter, right? And Paul Scholes wasn't on Twitter and no one's ever going to give him shit for what he says about United on Twitter. But when Wayne Rooney, as the club captain, this one really pissed me off, like properly pissed me off. Like, what is he doing? Because I think the captaincy of a club like United should be something that people really hold dear. So Rooney, as captain of United, we lose, I think it was Newcastle. We went, we lost to Newcastle. Oh, we had a shit result. And Bastian Schweinsteiger, who's been here three and a half minutes, he's, he's on Twitter. I mean, he might be the nicest guy in the world, actually, if you if you go through all his tweets. He, he seems like a genuinely nice bloke, doesn't he? But Bastian Schweinsteiger, been here half, an, half a minute, and he's talking about, you know, really sorry to all the fans that travelled there today. We're going to fight for three points next week. And you're like, do you know what? Whether, whether his PR team's just playing a blinder or whether he's genuine with that, yeah. he's saying it. Do you know what Wayne Rooney got on Twitter and said? Going to see Tiger Woods tonight. Can't wait. And you're like, it takes fucking nothing, does it? To it's get a little bit of common sense, but that's the sort of the the story of, of Wayne Rooney's career almost, isn't it? He just that? never connected with us, mate. He never connected with United, and you've got the likes of Paddy Evra and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who I think might be remembered more fondly when essentially they did nothing. John O'Shea played 400 times for the club. No one's going to be singing... John O'Shea, well, they might actually, because he's got a pretty good song, but do you know what I mean? No one's going to really fondly remember John O'Shea the way you remember Solskjaer for some of the goals that he scored, for the way he took to the club. You know, Cantona played, like, not even 200 times, I don't think, for United. John O'Shea played 400 times, but who do you remember as the bigger guy at the club? Well, that's Sometimes the... it's not about the achievements that you achieve. If you achieve what Giggs achieved, then, yeah, you go down in history because mm. it's incredible but sometimes it's about connecting with the fans and Bastian Schweinsteiger in 18 months connected more United fans than Rooney did in 13 years that's the thing on paper as you say the records and the honours you know they are incredibly impressive but it's that lack of you know a, a connection with the heart almost that, that really Mate, seems football's to be romantic right for me football's romantic why else do I give a shit about 11 random dickheads that I don't know walking around in a pit in the same shirt beautifully uh, put beautifully put what ties me to them, apart from their connection to this fan base? Why do you think United fans care about Rashford and Lingard? Because we know that they've stood where we stand. And we know that when it matters, they are United fans deep down. And we're not saying that everyone needs to be a United fan. And we're not saying you have to support the club that you end up playing for, because that's unrealistic. But football in itself is unrealistic, isn't it? We're all in this for the romance. So let's have a bit of romance. And I expect my players to buy into that and at least pay lip service to it. So I find it very difficult to call Wayne Rooney a legend. I say achievement-wise, undoubtedly. You know, I'm not going to argue with that. But I think legend shouldn't be a statistical thing. It's not an MVQ, is it? A legend should be a feeling. <laughs> what I mean, it's very interesting, the legacy he leaves in. I think you sum it up very well in terms of, you know, perhaps he hasn't earned that. Perhaps he has earned a sort of a legend status on paper, but as you say, it's more than that in football. In terms, though, of Wayne Rooney and in terms of how he be remembered, I mean, what do you think was his peak at Manchester United? What do you think was his, his finest moment in those 13 years? I think he was a great support player. Um, and I think he thrived, actually, on not having that limelight and pressure. Um, his best seasons are arguably when he was, you know, providing 
for Robin Van Persie to win that last title that we won when it's providing the runs and the balls and the support to Cristiano Ronaldo when it's providing the support to you know Ruud van Nistelrooy or, or somebody like that I think that is Wayne Rooney for me he is yeah, he was the, one of the most honest players you could ever want played with passion played with his heart on his sleeve and uh, I think that's how you remember him he's, as, he's an eternal teenager almost and when he grew up he grew old very fast. Uh, but for, I, I think some of the goals he scored was absolutely spectacular. People are going to talk about the overhead kick against City that he shinned. People are going to talk about the one where he was arguing with the ref against Newcastle and then belongs it in. Uh, but there was goals against Chelsea, uh, AC Milan. Uh, there's been so many times I've ended up rows over and in the aisle and on the on the floor after a Wayne Rooney goal and I don't know if I'm ever going to see another Ma- Manchester United footballer where I see all of the 253 goals that they score Wow um, Let's talk about you know not his replacement as it were but the new signing for Manchester United in the the, the, the man that hopefully is going to usher in a new era for the club as it were 75 million the initial fee for Romelu Lukaku uh, finally been confirmed today, I believe. It's all done and dusted. What are your thoughts on this signing? Because I know, you know, he is one of the most prolific strikers in the Premier League. And that lack of, well, that profligacy in front of goal was something that really uh, troubled Manchester United last season. Is he the man to, to to basically sort out their woes? I would hope so. Um I think what United have massively lacked this season, someone who could finish. And Lukaku's finishing rate, strike rate, mm-hmm. was 31%. And Ibra's was 14%. I mean, I don't know if you I don't know if you can just straight double what Ibra got and say that's what Lukaku would have got. But I don't think he just offers that either. And I think that, that was probably an anomaly season for Ibra. But I think he offers a lot of mobility in that final third. He's deceptively absolutely rapid. He scores a different type of goal as well. He's good in the air. He, he likes hitting them from distance. He can score the tappings. Uh, I think he's a. I think he's a, a Mourinho forward. I think he is. You know, a, a 21st century. Although he, he was 21st century one, really. But you know, <laughs> the 2017 version of Didier Drogba. Uh, I fucking love him, me, mate. I've wanted him at United for the longest time. Uh, I'm really excited. I can't wait to see him in the United shirt. Pogba assist for Lukaku. You're going to get used to wearing that one, I reckon, on match of the day this season. Oh, definitely. He is the sort of sign, though. You know, he is um, an extortionate amount of money. It could potentially raise to, I think, 90 million, which would make him the most expensive player of all time, etc. But it is that sort of statement almost. It's that kind of sign that makes you think. God, I don't really want to face Manchester United this season, which is something that, you know, I haven't said to myself in, you know, three, four years now. I don't give a fuck about the price. We spent over a billion on debt. No one says a fucking peep about that. It's just gone out of there because we changed our owners. My fan, my season ticket money goes out to pay. They're talking today that we've spent more now post-Fergie than Fergie managed to spend. Well, of course you have. Fergie broke the British transfer record in 1993 for Roy Keane for three and a half million. Raiola's picking up 10 times that this summer. Like, of course we have. The, the, the money in football has gone so stratospheric. I think someone said a couple of weeks ago that if you hear a transfer fee now and you go, oh my God, we need to half it and go, if it sounds about right, if it's halved, that's probably what it is due to the influx of money that we've had in the Premier League with the TV money and everything else. The fees, just, the fees themselves, though, are in proportion to the revenue, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact... Dennis Law at 250 grand costs more than Pogba did 
for United. In terms of, you know, the percentage yeah. of the club's revenue spent on that player. Yeah. So this sort of Robson it, was nearly 50% of United's turnover in 1981. A million and 1.1 million away. That's the thing. You could argue the fees are out of control, but you have to acknowledge that all the, the money in the game is out of control. You know, it's all spiraling up and up and up. Um, yeah, it's, it's affordable. There's someone paid a massive salary at United to go, can we afford that? So I'm not worried about him. If the club's happy to pay him, I'm happy, I'm happy to pay him because we're, we're shelling so much out in debt repayments that I think it's a joke people even consider it. But do you think it's the sort of signing that makes... Manchester United once again a sort of a scary proposition yes um, I mentioned before Mourinho came in I was hoping Joe somebody like a Bale somebody you know you get Mourinho as a manager and you look at the team sheet and you know what a Mourinho team's like and then if we had somebody like a Bale on the pitch we go oh, Jesus like it's hard work coming to Old Trafford again isn't it? and that's what you want last year we didn't fully have it Ibra brought some of that swagger back and I think he'll be a massive help to everybody in the dressing room because he's still there. He's going to be there till I reckon, at least Christmas, sorting his rehab out. Um, I think Pogba brought some of that last year, but not enough on his own. And I see occasionally as well, not occasionally, it's quite a lot, people talking about Lukaku doesn't turn up in the big games. People forget that it's two teams in a game of football and one manager's going to be spending half of his week trying to figure out what the the strongest asset is in the opposition team and working on a plan to nullify that. And if you're playing against Everton, then what are you looking at nullify? It's Lukaku. So if you can keep him quiet, you're pretty much guaranteed to be keeping Everton quiet. And the reason that the bigger clubs do better in this is one, because they're just simply better, but also the bigger clubs are able to get around this. Because this was something that used to see levelled at Ronaldo all the time. Because people used to target him to try and take him out of the game because he was the biggest threat. Now you go to a team where you've got three, four, five, six threats, and you might take one of them out of the game, but that's going to leave a door open for someone else. And I think United are starting to assemble a team where, I mean, Tottenham have got it as well. You've got it. You keep Ali quiet, Kane's going to punish you. You keep Kane quiet, you might have just left a bit of space at the back post there for Ali to get in. And I'm hoping that United are starting to do that now. So if you focus on Lukaku, trying to keep him quiet, double man mark him, then you're going to have to leave yourself short in midfield and Pogba might pop up with one. If you try and cut off the supply to Pogba, then Herrera might find Lukaku and put one away. And I think that's what you've got to do is you've got to, you've got to have multiple outlets because if you've only got one outlet, it's very easy to shut you down. And I think that's the, one of the reasons why the criticism of Lukaku comes that he doesn't turn up in the big games. But if you look at his output of goals, his output of goals is equal to that of Kane and Aguero in, in terms of goals against the other big six. Uh, but he plays for Everton. So I think he needs a little bit of credit, the fact that he's scoring these goals for Everton, who aren't equipped like the rest of those teams. He's not doing it at a big team. Yeah. I think he scores more this season for United than he did last season for Everton. I also think Pogba <sighs> gets 10 goals as well. I say so. It's going to be very interesting to see if you know this is the sort of signing that transforms Manchester United into title challenges. I think that's what many people are expecting. Maybe help them challenge in the Champions League as well. Lukaku's spoken about how, you know, he can't wait to get a taste of that stage. It's going to be a fascinating season. For now, though, Stephen Housen, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, where can people find you for now? You know, talking about transfers, talking about all the, the pre-season banter, as it were, Manchester United. Yeah, uh, iTunes podcast. I might split it, actually, soon into a football podcast and my other podcast because they're so... Oh, yeah. 
they're like completely schizophrenic. One of them, me and my mate, just talk about utter bollocks, and the other one is quite serious football chat with a lot of p- good people like yourself. Mm-hmm. So uh, the warm down might get its own little YouTube thread, but if you uh, or uh, iTunes thread, it's already got its own YouTube thread. But if uh, if you have a look for the warm down podcast, or just search Stephen Allison podcast on iTunes, give it a subscribe, and uh, it's different, should we say? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Interesting stuff there from Stephen, House and Rooney, and of course on Romelu Lukaku, Lawrence. Uh, 75 million pound signing for Manchester United was confirmed today. Uh, I mean... Surely this is a fantastic bit of business. Despite the money, despite the huge fee, this is going to be the man to to finish the chances that United failed to last season. They're going to hopefully transform their attack somewhat. I'm sure David's got some more t- statistics on it. Um, I mean, we saw uh, a, a great striker last season uh, with many of those attributes and someone who also maybe at times liked to remain static, um, finish a lot of those chances. So I think... Basically, we're seeing a younger, more trainable version of um, what what Ibrahimovic would have initially brought to the side. Um, and it seems as if Mourinho favoured him ahead of a move for Lacazette, a move for uh, Morata as well. Uh, so there's got to be a reason for that. I imagine it's down to being a, a proven uh, striker. He also said he wanted to play for Mourinho. Uh, he sort of buys into that Mourinho ideology that's going to be massively helpful to Manchester United um, and I think at the same time it looks as if the people around him are set up to feed into everything that Lukaku wants to do I also think you know it's in, we have this sort of with Ben Teke when he originally signed um, for Liverpool I know it's a much lower sort of uh, price transfer wise but people boxed him in and I, I do think Ben Teke showed other aspects of his game Um and ultimately, he just didn't get the coaching that he needed to be able to um, get those other aspects uh, out on the pitch. Uh, I think Lukaku will probably be a bit luckier than that and evolve in a slightly different way. I think he'll add a lot more to his game than he already has. And that can only get better at Manchester United, especially playing alongside a player like Pogba. I mean, he's you know, best man in that as BFF. a combination. How Chris- yeah, they look that way. I'd love to see what, how yeah. much they actually hang out this is what Lukaku said. He said, you know, he's my best friend. I see him all the time. He had a lot to do with me choosing to join Manchester United. So um, clearly there's a big impact there from from Paul Pogba. Uh, how do you think Manchester United 
Manchester United's style is going to develop, Chris, with Romelu Lukaku joining the team. Lawrence makes an interesting comparison there to Zlatan Ibrahimovic, obviously a less mobile striker last season. Lukaku is someone who perhaps likes to play on the counter-attack, uh, obviously one of the most effective, most efficient strikers in the Premier League. Do you think he's potentially going to be the answer to what were Manchester United's problems last season in failing to convert so many draws at Old Trafford into wins? You know, Lukaku's got this reputation of being a bit of a flat-track bully, Maybe that's what Manchester United need. Uh, I think the notion that he's a flat-track bully is personally unfounded. Um, if you look at the numbers last year, he scored, and I'm going to go a little bit, Dave, here, he scored more goals against the top six than any other player in the Premier League. Love it, um, love it. At, at the same time, I think what you can take away as well, his conversion rate was significantly better than most strikers. I think it was around... 30% overall or something ridiculous like that. It was very high. I know that was potentially the highest in the league. I think what essentially has happened and what Mourinho has done is he hasn't tried to develop his style. If anything, he's gone back to old faithful because if you look throughout his career, he's loved that big, powerful number nine type forward. It's it's Costa at Chelsea. It's Drogba at Chelsea. It's, I mean, he's not as powerful, but, you know, Melito, um, even Eto to a certain degree. He's, he's liked a very traditional number nine playing up front for him. Um, and I think in, in Lukaku, what he's realised is, OK, Zatan is, is obviously not going to stay. I want the next best thing. And theoretically, that is Lukaku, because I think what you can say about Lukaku in terms of criticisms and things that have been levelled at him, his first touches has been viewed as not the greatest and his link-up play has been questioned at times. Those are elements that theoretically can improve on him as time goes on because he is just 24. And I think that gets lost in the fact that he started when he was 16. So he's been in the consciousness for so much longer. With all that said, I think what they've realised is having someone as potent as him essentially turns a lot of those draws into wins. That's, that's the hope, at least, is that when times are difficult inside the penalty box, he is fantastic in terms of not just scoring chances that are created for him, but also making his own shots and making his own chances. And I think what actually needs to change for Man United is they need slightly better production from the players behind Lukaku and those attacking midfielders. Guys like Mkhitaryan is, is a good example. They need to be producing more, I think, in, in the league to turn those those draws from, from last season into victories. Interesting signing, nonetheless. Uh, could be the world record. I believe it could rise to £90 million, pounds, which would make the most expensive signing of all time with the old add-ons and all that nonsense. Um, yeah, someone else will break that before he has that add-on. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, what, £100 million pound player? Do you think that, it's not going to happen this summer, surely. Could happen. Could happen. But would... Who, who's the player? Who's the player who's, who's going to move for £100 million this summer? Oh, no, I just think before they get the add-ons, it'll happen. Right, I see. Okay, fair enough. Um, the team, though, who missed out on Lukaku, uh, despite apparently offering the same amount of money, uh, was Chelsea. Lukaku rejecting a return to his former club. Wanted to join the biggest club in the world, apparently, Lawrence. Um, Chelsea. Liverpool didn't want him, though. Yes, of course. Uh, Liverpool, Chelsea, now looking at alternatives. Uh, the man on Antonio Conte's radar is none other now than Alvaro Morata, correct. £70 million is apparently the fee that Real Madrid are demanding. Conte has asked the board to get it done. Uh, they're starting to make their signings now, Chelsea, after sort of a little bit of a, a rocky period at the start of the window where you know there was talk of Conte being dissatisfied with 
with the movements in the market, do you think getting Morata in, be it for £70 million at an extortion, a crazy amount of money, that's be a, a solid move for them? I mean, it certainly will be a solid move. Um, a lot of people are sort of talking about, the, you know, Morata playing in the Juve system, which Conte originally set up. Um, you know, I mean, that maybe that's got some basis. He just has what Conte is probably going to want in a strike. I mean, the, it's very clear he probably wanted Lukaku, but then there are a lot of people who desired Lukaku because Lukaku has the desirable traits of a striker that could play in a modern system right now. Same for Alvaro Morata. Um, and I think he's proven that on the top stage with... Real Madrid, uh, also with Juventus. You also look at the fact that he's played in a number of different systems and proven time and time again that he can be an adaptable striker. Um, I'll be interested to see what he does in a, uh, an intensive system like uh, Conte's um, and also what that means, of course, for Diego Costa because, you know, Morata and Costa could be an interesting combination. But after what the stories we've heard about Morata and, say, Cristiano Ronaldo... Uh, or, or anyone else at the club at Real Madrid. Um, I'll be interested to see how he integrates and what that means for one or two other people in the Chelsea what, dressing room. What stories are those, Lawrence? Well, just that Ronaldo, Ronaldo uh, sort of had a problem with uh, passing to Morata because Morata wanted to sort of be the main finishing man and Morata had a problem with passing with to Ronaldo. Um, and just basically, I think there was a bit of a a rutting, if you like, um, and so I'll be interested to see because actually the status of Diego Costa at the moment is probably um, unknown. I mean, you know, most of it, most of it's speculation. But you know, if you if you to go by what the papers say, the papers are currently saying uh, that Diego Costa wants out, and that will probably put him lower down the pecking order because no one wants someone in the dressing room who doesn't want to be there. Mm. Um, so he's status wise going to be below Morata. Morata is going to become man. And we'll see what happens with Diego Costa. But, but even then, just look at the, the basics that Morata uh, possesses as a player uh, and the coachability that he's proven to have, played playing for a number of managers uh, in successive seasons. Um, and that probably sets him up quite nicely for Antonio Conte. The Costa situation, according to The Guardian, is that he will only sign for Atletico Madrid. He won't countenance any other potential destination there's some uh, stuff about him going to turkey before he goes to um because he just wants to sort of get out of the club so he of course. goes to turkey first he wouldn't be able to play until january because of the uh, the transfer yeah. ban uh atletico madrid are facing 26 million pounds is apparently the the offer that atletico have put in according to the guardian but chelsea want mo money as they say um so it'd be interesting mo, I, money, I would, mo, mo costas exactly so I'd expect him to potentially leave before the end of the window, as you know, we all know that uh, Conte has made it clear he's not part of the club's plans. Uh, Chelsea making other signings, though, Chris. Uh, they've brought in, I'm going to try and pronounce this correctly, Tiamue Bakayoko for £35 million from Monaco. Uh, pending a medical. In the air. Pending a medical is, is what The Guardian is saying. Although, just moments ago, there was a headline that Manchester United are trying to hijack the move. Uh, so Brilliant. Not, yeah, you know, as a, just to, to rub salt in the wound, having beaten them to Lukaku, they're just like, ah, we'll take back Yoko as well, maybe. Um, <laughs> this was supposed to be a, a done deal as of, you know, a few hours ago. Might be up in the air, as you said it, Chris. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading the Telegraph, and that says that Monaco have claimed that Chelsea's stance could allow Man United to hijack the deal. I think it would Monaco be a massive... According to this, Monaco have claimed that Chelsea stands. I imagine through sources or something like that. It won't be um, 
it won't be as cut and dry as that. Um, yeah, apparently Monaco, this is all via the Telegraph, Monaco have also been angered by the proposed payment schedule and the Premier League champions' refusal to pay closer to £40 million for the 22-year-old. I mean, that would be an insane return on investment given he cost, I think, £7 million or something ridiculous like that. So you're looking at, what is that, maybe five, close to six times the the profit on, on what they paid. I, I think, see, the difficulty is, I think, when you look at the central midfielder they had last year at Chelsea, it actually worked incredibly efficiently because you had Kante who could cover the ground and was the, you know, the, the workhorse of, of arguably two men. But at the same time, he and Matic were both able to sit there and be those destroyers, but they had different roles. Kante's was to sweep up, whereas Matic's was to create and, and be slightly more dynamic with his passing. And even then, Conte was was eager to stress that for him, Kante needed to to improve and could become better and could do more. And I think you did see a slight change with him during the season where he became just a little bit more dynamic than, than we'd become used to while he's been in England. Saying that, a lot of teams are trying at least to have three in midfield to control, whereas Chelsea managed to exert that control using two. Now, that was partly because Louise could move between the lines and come into midfield when he brought the ball out. Bakayoko, I think, is he's a good player. I'm not sure if he's worth £40 million personally. And I don't mean that from a pedantic kind of the transfer market's gone mad. I think he, he's very physical. Um, I think he will give them a different dimension to someone like Matic, for example. But I'm also not sure if he's got the same kind of craft and and guile that, that Matic has got. So it depends really what Conte wants. If he was to lose out to Man United, I think it improves Man United more than it lo- improves Chelsea. £40 million is the new £30 million. You know, last season we were talking about how, you know, £30 million seemed to be now the, the, the set price for sort of average, decent-ish sort of players like Moussa Zizoko. It's now £40 million, Chris. You're looking at Bakayoko, you're looking at Sigurdsson. That is the standard fee nowadays. Yeah, um, I mean, that's the thing with Sigurdsson as well. I think it's another one where if, if Swansea really are turning down £40 million, they've got to be really confident of getting 50 because as, as much as I think he's a, a fun player to watch, he's not worth... He's not worth, I would say he's not worth more than 25, really. Right. And if you can get 40, sell him and, and buy yourself a new attack. What about... Yeah, but uh, to, them, to them, he is, though, isn't he? Because he's he's very key to them. And they would argue that he was one of the players that kept them up. So he's worth more than that. In just Highest paid player, best player, etc. Lawrence is gone. Um, no, I, I'm here. Oh. Uh, Sorry, I was just going to say, uh, uh, he's worth more than 50 to them. Mainly because he's better. It's better to keep him than uh, sell him for any price, and then trouble yourselves. It's all a matter of perspective, in many ways. Um, one player that Chelsea have actually signed, though, Chris, is Antonio Rudiger from Roma on a five-year deal, uh, twenty-nine million pounds, the initial fee. Signing after helping Germany win the Confederations Cup uh, just the other week. What do you make of this one? I mean, there was a fantastic. <laughs> You can view it as fantastic, or you can view it as a god-awful uh, announcement video that, that came with the signing. I don't know if you caught this one. I did see that. That was... Um, look, clubs have got to try and be more innovative with these things, I guess, to engage people and have fun with it. Do they? I didn't... Do they? Well, in, in their eyes, at least, because it's, it's what gets eyes on the, the, the product, so to speak. Um, so I understand why they did it. I thought it was... 
look, it was a decent idea. I'm sure these ideas all sound great in the meetings because you know it's it's a different, um, you know, different different mindset, I guess. Um, in terms of him as a player, I fully understand why they've got him. I'm slightly unsure as to whether they could have just kept Nathan Ake personally, because to me, you've got a lot of similar traits in terms of. Both players are very physical. Both players are very versatile. That's the thing with Rudiger. He can play anywhere across the back line, left back, right back, centre back. With that said, he does have noticeable flaws as well. I think he has lapses in concentration. I think his positioning can be a little bit suspect at times. But the one thing you can say about Conte is, and I'm sure Lars can talk about this in even greater detail, having done that fantastic documentary on him, he loves to work with people. He loves to coach them. And he's not afraid of, grabbing a player and, and pulling them into position on the training field. So from that aspect, it makes a complete logical step for me as a signing with the important caveat of, I feel like they could have just kept Nathan Ake, whether, whether they think his ceiling is not as high and then, you know, at least they get 20 million from Bournemouth and have the buyback. So the Alukaku or, you know, Salab De Bruyne type situation doesn't develop. I guess that makes sense, but at the, at the same time, I think sometimes it's better to do nothing. Just do nothing. Just do nothing. Um, what did you make of the uh, the announcement video for Rudica Lawrence? Because, I mean, it's up there. We've had uh, John Terry. His announcement of signing for Aston Villa was uh, followed by a video of a sort of a fake WhatsApp conversation between the club's owner and Steve Bruce. It was all very strange. It's all we pretty had, budget, uh, isn't it? It's all, it's all yeah. a bit of a waste of time. We had no, Crystal Palace and the yeah. White Smoke as well. You know, that was an interesting one. When, uh, it wasn't a video, though, was it? It was just a picture. Oh, no, it was a video. The old, uh, the old smoke coming out of there. You know, oh, yeah, get, that get was, the yeah. full effect. I suppose the thing, I mean, the, thing, the smoke thing is at least a sort of, at least vaguely it's clever. bit tongue-in-cheek. You know, bit tongue-in-cheek. It's, it's not taking itself too seriously. I like that. piss out of the Vatican. But at the same time, well, don't we all? But at the same time, why are they wasting money on these videos? I'm not 100% sure. I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, was the the sort of the Pogba Stormzy video last year with Adidas that was leaked just ahead of the Pogba announcement? Is that it's what set this same, all off? It? But is that what set it all off, I'm saying? I know, you know, that's not to my taste personally, but it was a very well-produced video, very well-made, but accompanying a signing with this sort of you know, a uh, hype building sort of a uh, short video piece, you know, all the clubs are trying I've, to get in I've on that never, action, that stormsy heat, you know? I've never personally been hyped by watching a man thumb through Twitter. Um, no. But, you know, it, it is that what was it the, is. That was um, the Mohamed Salah, you know, oh, it's a bit that funny. Was Sal- I mean, yeah. Oh. And now was, Salah, cheeky wave, you know, a bit tongue-in-cheek-ish. Yeah, I mean, just take a picture. You know, just do it the traditional way. What's wrong um, with holding up a picture of a shirt? Now you've got to have them wearing the shirt and holding up the shirt as well. It's ridiculous. Why don't you? Why don't you? What I'd love to see is them holding up a picture of them holding up a picture. Yeah, of them a never-ending a sort of, you know. Yeah, mirror, I mean that cascade. If, if I'm honest, what it feels like, and knowing the inside of the industry, it feels like a few people have lost their job recently, gone and pitched to clubs, I can make you video content. And the clubs have gone, yeah, engagement, video or, content. And this is the yeah. first wave of... Or the that, newly that sort of hired, you know, video content, content producers out of these clubs are trying to justify it. I don't know. Even the... I mean, yeah, exactly. did you see and the Southampton people- sort of campaign for their new kit when it was launched? It was sort of an animated series of videos. I don't know if anyone caught this. It was kind of... Uh, no, kind of like superhero-ish, like Samurai Jack 
sort of versus evil doctor robot sort of thing. You're a fan? No, I didn't like it at all. I just thought, what a waste of time, you know? Just show me a picture of time, waste of money. Exactly. Yeah. Keep it it simple. All of it. All of it just takes in the way of the information you actually want. So what the modern trend in football is we want information, we want it quickly. This is the opposite because it, you sort of sit there and you're like, all right, fine, I'll just buzz the video on a little bit. I don't want to – I mean, I don't give a shit about what everything's training would, who would, Yeah, who would do a kit launch, you know? Who would who would go to a club and, and do a kit launch with them? I think, I think you're perhaps looking at it from the wrong vantage point. You're Come not on, the Chris. people they're aiming for. Who are they aiming well, for? Let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. On Chris. Twitter. Dad's not on Twitter. Yeah, Jay. My dad – you know, so kids aren't on Twitter. On Twitter, are they going for? I think what they're trying to do is they they're they're trying to break the fourth wall essentially, yeah. and and portray the image that we we are not just part of the culture; we are conscious of it. So things like announce Salah, announce that habit of yeah, you wanna... just tweeting your club and saying announce such and such. That moments like that and things like that, it, it's it's trying to be a little bit more inventive and show your creativity as a football club. Is it always perfectly executed? Of course not, but that, that in fairness... But then my question to you, Chris, is because I have sort of acknowledged that. My question to you is, when's it been well executed? I thought the Salah one was good. Um, yeah, but, it, but, but, that, but, and that's, but and that's fine, but you're thinking of it within the context of the, an announcement, a shit announcement video, that it's a new genre. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? I just, and it's just starting I, out. It's in its early art. stages, you know? It's it's like, yeah, it's early. That's the thing. You have to look at it from the perspective of every, everything you do via your social is content, Right. Content is king, Everything. as they say. And I know, and I know that yes. word conjures sort such horrible cultural reactions. Sort of, am I medium is the message kind of argument here? All right, I'm going. I'm with it. definitely right, not smart enough to do that. What, I would, what, what I'm saying is, is that for clubs like that, it's the the thought process behind the innovation is we're all fighting for the the marketplace or whatever you want to call it. The you know that that viewer's eye and also kind of you know, the ability to put your footprint across the globe, making something like, you know, the, the Rudiger video or whatever, it's a chance if it goes well, if it if it hits the way it's supposed to, to be shared around the world. Okay, yes. Yeah, it, it definitely was shared around the world, I promise you that. It, it that's, definitely, that's it definitely was shared. All right, so they get those numbers. All right, gets that. And I, and I, I can understand that. Did they do it on but purpose? That, that, was it intentionally bad? Is, but, but surely then, Chris, surely that shows how out of touch they are. Because what it shows is that they, they don't understand what the fans actually want. What they are mistaking is engagement for uh, happy fans. And that's not true because they're, what they've got is a shit video that people took the piss out of. So first of all, you know, your rival club can go, oh God, that's so embarrassing. Like, let's share this. That's hilarious. Deactivate, delete um, your account, et cetera. Yeah, uh, yeah, delete, delete, you know, there's a lot of... And then Deletos. also the opposite is your... They humanise the player, which is a lovely attempt, but they humanise them to such a degree that most of the time they make the players look budget or they make them look a little bit um, weird. So they, they humanise them in a way which you don't want when you've just made a transfer. You want to lift these players up and you want to make them... You want to give them a status of, oh, it's brand new signing for a club. And that's something that a photo does quite well because... You know, there's a form to it. There's something there. There's kind of, you know, they're holding up a 
picture. They're not holding yeah. up a Dunkin' Donuts sign. <laughs> you sort of get my point. Is you know, I just think it's poor. It's poor execution on every. Poor execution. Part. No, you can crap. I think you can see what we're saying. That the, the intention is there. They're they're trying to to reach the fans on a different level. Is it executed if well? You can't do it. No. Though, is it tone deaf? It, yes. <laughs> Even I don't. Yeah, maybe I'm, you can't do it. But if you intend to do it and you can't do it, then don't do it in the first place. You know? Don't even bother me. The, the fact is also they've got millions of pounds and that's the best you can do. Yeah, the Chelsea really good well, video don't, looked... Well, that's the, that's the problem. Those departments potentially, but Those I mean... Those departments are so... The Chelsea yeah, no, one looked like it was produced by interns. Underfunded. Those departments yeah. often are. And, and again, though, Chris, so the argument there is you have mi- the, the club itself has millions of pounds. I'm not saying the department does, but the club itself has millions of pounds. Then actually spend that money on something that's productive because at the moment that video produces nothing. So I won't name the club, but I had discussions with a club fairly recently. In fact, there was two actually I can think of that I had a, uh, a discussion with and they explained it to me as... When it comes to investment on this side of the table, we have to be able to go to our bosses and say, putting X amount of money in, we're going to X amount back. And you have to almost break even on every type of thing like that you put into. It's very rare. There are clubs like Man City, I think, that, that break that convention. But for so many, if they don't see a tangible return on the investment they put in, they're just not interested. Well, then let's the be reach, the engagement, etc. But then, yeah, but then let's be completely honest then. The, really, it, it's very difficult to quantify those numbers because, you know, you know, so what's their boss's metric? Their boss's metric is not, okay, a pound for every view or whatever. Their boss, their boss isn't so really going to know the value the, of the engagement statistics, however many thousand you know. views. Interesting that you mentioned Man City. Yeah, but we because, all know that's bullshit, Adam. Yeah, of course, we all know but I mean, bullshit. maybe the higher-ups so don't then, know that. So then, the higher-ups definitely yeah, don't know that. Yeah, and and then so the lower see downs... the big numbers, 50 that, million, 100 million likes, you know, wow. Incredible. But the lower downs who are making the argument to Chris are also then proving that they don't understand the numbers. So the people within the clubs, and I, and I, again, sort of respect them for what they're doing, but it's almost a bit like, look, mate, stay in your lane. Do you know what I mean? Just stay in your lane. Don't try and... I get it's a nice gesture, <laughs> but you've picked, you've picked the dying flowers. Do you know what I mean? Let's move on to the questions. First up, friend of the show, Andrew Passaro, says, what EPL team will win the Champions League next? Surely, Lawrence, with a certain manager at the helm, with the big signings that they've made in the past two seasons, is Manchester United. Wouldn't that be lovely? Do you think it would be Man United? Wouldn't it be Man City, choice. Guardiola, um, maybe more likely. Chelsea now, they're back in. I mean, it doesn't say who's going to win it this season. It's saying which will be the next. It's a, a very interesting uh, phrasing of the question there. Chris, you got come any? close. Yeah. Uh, Manchester United or, or Chelsea could be a good one. I mean, I think, could Klopp make a deep uh, run with Liverpool? I just think Manchester United are going to spend and spend and spend until they get to the point where they are challenging and winning it. Um, mm. so you know they'll spend their way to the Champions League as Real Madrid have done mm. in recent seasons yeah proven um, it works have they though because like the guys who've decided the finals for them I don't think they were new purchases really were they they've spent money yeah, but no. not definitely made the argument you know what I mean because of that like I Modric don't... is the new arrival Ronaldo is the but new arrival but I mean arrival. over the over the past X amount of years 
Yeah, you know it's I mean? a sustained high yeah. spending. So I'm saying Manchester that's United will be the next English team because um, they maybe they'll spend that amount of money to get to that stage. Yeah, yeah that's a good. Ch- I mean, I'm not confident it's Chelsea because to me, in albeit the brief sample size we've got, Conte doesn't do so well managing competitions. Um, Arsenal, no, sorry. Um, Lacazette changes next to nothing for me with that. Um, Liverpool, no, I don't think so either. I don't think they're going to have a, a. I think it's much harder to have the kind of run they did under under Benitez last time. And so yeah, probably Man United or Man City, realistically, because I think Tottenham have still got a lot of demons to exercise before they get near that. Mm, interesting. Uh, moving on, Lynn the Love says, can Milan? be back to their best interesting question amid reports that Milan are going to make a 70 million pound bid for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang they've already made some big moves in the transfer market this summer there's talk that Gianluigi Donnarumma could do a massive U-turn and stay at the club sign a new contract do you think Milan are back Chris whatever that means I need a little bit more convincing not because of who they've signed but because there's just so many questions around that owner. The fact that he needed loans to complete things, the fact he's got a more than questionable history back in China, even the fact that Maldini turned down a, a role as a, I think it was like sporting director or director of football, just saying that the platform wasn't there, it just unsettles me a little bit because I can't help but think there's just something not right. You know, it, it just doesn't, it just doesn't sit right with me. Um, I think a lot of their signings have been smart. You look at like Andre Silva and it's it's all relatively young guys with growth potential and that kind of thing. And Aubameyang is is obviously the other end of that skill. He's not so young, but he's proven and he'll score goals and, and I think will will help get them up the table. But I just no, it's it's too early for me to be convinced yet. I'm sure it could go swimmingly this season for them. I do trust Montella to at least do good things though, because I do think he's a very good coach. But long term, in terms of the sustained spending they would potentially need, I just there's something about that owner I can't put my finger on it. Definitely moving in the right direction though, isn't it? I mean, you know, yeah, that club has needed an overhaul for quite some time, and I think it's been sitting there waiting. I mean, you know, Milan have been waiting for someone to buy them. Um, and yeah. now that person's come along, it does. You know, I, I don't know who's doing the scouting within the club, but there definitely is sort of a feeling that the Milan scouts have gone. Finally, there's some investment. Bam, bam, bam. We want this, this, this. Um, and you know, about Bamiang would be a lovely signing for the club. It, it, it's something. It's a sleeping giant. Mm. I love that cliche. Uh, we know what happened to the last one of them. They only went and won the Blooming League last year. But 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 Brandon Allen says, what is the one sign that each top six team needs to win the league? Uh, I mean, potentially you'd argue Ooh, Manchester United may have made theirs. Manchester United may have made theirs. In Romelu Lukaku, uh, signing yeah. that big striker, uh, was one of the big holes in the team last season. Chelsea, if they could sign Alvaro Morata with Diego Costa leaving, as we've talked about. Uh, Arsenal, I mean, you just said there, Chris, you're not convinced by Lacazette that that really transforms uh, Arsenal's hopes of challenging for silverware. If they could sign one more player, who would that be that would would convince you? Um, 
Or what's position? Yeah. What, what what are we looking at? Well, I think they need a centre-back. Um, to, I mean, actually, no, I take that back because I quite like Koscielny and Mustafi when they're together. Maybe someone like Fabinho in midfield. I, if I'm honest, I think the the biggest issue Arsenal have, and I wrote about this this week for you, Max, it, is there's still this sort of belief that if it's not Ozil and Alexis stepping up, then you know it, it's no one. And and you look back, and I went back and did a lot of reading on the Invincibles and and kind of Jens Lehmann and that period. And Lehman has a really good quote in the the book that uh, Rafa Honigstein wrote, Das Reboot, which I started reading when I was on my, my flight back. And he talks about the fact that they had an over-reliance on Michael Ballack around 2003, 2004. And he said, you know, this idea, and I can't remember the word, I think it's like Ferlingspieler, which means like the leading player in German. He said, this is such a German like trend and it's total nonsense. He's like at, at Arsenal, you know, Patrick Vieira might change the game for us, but the left back could do it the next next week. And he might shout at me or he might keep everyone sharp, but he's not the leading player. And I think that's the problem. Arsenal have developed a talismanic habit. And look, it's it's quite an English trait in general because the national team have, have struggled with it for decades. But I think they need to get away from that, this idea that one player changes things. Like mm. Lacazette coming changes things. No, it's it's a good signing. I think, you know, he, he he's quite a, a clinical player, and he'll give them something different. But you can't expect him to change everything. It has to be a collective. Okay, now we're all turning the page. Yeah, it's a very good point, which makes the question redundant. But um, uh, is there one player who could? Well, no, not necessarily, because like you look at Manchester United, for example, and if you put Bakayoko or you put Fabinho in midfield that changes them considerably because they they are the kind of team that has that missing piece. The, the, the mentality isn't an issue or the, the mindset isn't an issue with Manchester United. The problem with them is something like a positional thing where they don't have that person shielding the back four and, and giving Pogba the freedom to play. But Brandon said one signing. We only have one signing to make each top six into league winners, essentially. Um, impossible. Very hard to do. Is there one name, Lawrence, that you'd love to see at Liverpool that you think, yeah, that's going to take us to the next level. We're going to win the league, etc. I'd love to nab me a cater. Nice, nice. I like that. Uh, I mean, you know, Nico said on this podcast, I didn't think it'll take uh, Liverpool to next level. I'm, I'm struggling to think of a striker that would take Liverpool to next level or sort of win them the league. Um, people making yeah. the argument for Virgil van Dijk. Arguably, it's not just one signing for Liverpool, which maybe shows what yeah, you're right. state you're right. people are in. Spurs, so. is there anyone that... Spurs could get in to sort of elevate them. There's not been much about is Spurs it, is in this transfer window. It's very quiet at the moment. Can I ask you a question, Adam? Is it more keeping hold of players like Dyer, who very soon will be subject to bids from Manchester United? I don't the best see club, the best them, club in the world. Yeah, apparently so. I don't see them. I don't see Dyer leaving myself. I don't see any player apart from Kyle Walker maybe leaving this season this summer I don't I just don't think there's a reason to as of yet as we've said countless times maybe next season I don't think they need to worry about hanging on to those players I think there needs to be one or two key additions I mean has been talk uh, in the last week or so about Matteo Kovacic if that's how you say it from Real Madrid joining apparently Real Madrid uh, are looking to sell him could be an interesting signing for Spurs add depth add guard to that midfield so potentially I'm not sure he's the, the sort of signing you know that's would it's all of a sudden elevate Spurs to title winners as, as Brandon sort of wants us to pick out but I thought I'd, I'd be very happy with that signing myself um, let's move if he wasn't insanely expensive I'd pitch Thomas Lamar 
Yeah. I think he I think he fits you guys perfectly. He's driving up he's the old the, uh, the old prices driving up from Monaco though, to Arsenal, isn't it? Yeah, he's not the blister and pace you want. Like that's that's a thing a little bit of a misconception about him. But in terms of uh, a wide player that can comfortably sit narrow and and interact with with players around him and carry the ball, he's yeah, he's he's like a slightly slower but more creative version of Son. Here is a good question from Carlos Zadova, a friend of the show, long-time listener. I have an odd request, but this upcoming season I will begin coaching a recreational football team. However, I am only 17 and the team will be players that are all around my age, aged under 18, as I will coach my brother, my twin, and cousin 16. There are many things, things I'd like to tactical as I'd ideally want to create a possession-based side with an inevitably crappy, he says in brackets, Pep-esque ideology in mind. Very ambitious from Carlos here. He says, how do I gain the respect of my peers so that they'll listen to me and take on board certain instructions that may seem out of the norm? And what do I do to emphasize in a Pep system, especially when the level of skill of the players isn't particularly high? Um, it's amazing what you can do in 140 characters. Um, yeah, crazy. Um, basically, you've got to assert yourself. Why don't we give one piece of advice? Yeah, my advice would just be assert yourself as the alpha male. It's all you got to do. Right. Pick Find the on, biggest guy, punch yeah, him pick, square in the exactly. face. Wait, no, that's jail. Sorry, that's yeah. prison. No, no, no. This, is, this is cogent. You really assert yourself. Make sure you're the alpha male. Take no nonsense. Uh, just let everyone know that you're the boss, however that may be. Uh, I don't recommend violence. But, you know, I don't necessarily go against it either. Uh, Lawrence, what would be your suggestion? Um, don't be violent towards anyone else. Uh, resist asserting yourself as much as possible. Um, uh, be understanding towards others. Uh, forgive and forget. And... Uh, Bring Jesus in your heart. No, yeah. I just say uh, if you you need people to be on board, so it's about communication uh, as a manager. And this comes from someone who's maybe a poor communicator. Um, just you know, try and say to them, what, lay out what you want to do simply to them. See how many people buy into it, and the people who don't buy into it, replace them. Um, and then from there, the only way is up. That's what Adam did. Uh, a number of companies he's worked at and is what he's doing at the football team we're working on now <laughs> rid of the deadwood of course uh, and they've gone they've gone to another shitty team that is not going to win anything of course and well, uh i would just like to point out up. i'm only joking about the violence cars i think as lawrence is suggesting there you've just got to you've got to show your results work you know have belief in your ideas have belief in your methods and when you show other people that yes they are successful that yes they work then you'll have the full confidence of your peers and they'll be right behind you, you know? Be willing to change. Be willing to listen to the tactics because Adam set up the team terribly in the first week <laughs> against I mean, Mongolian horses. And then in the second week, he listened and he was a leader of men. And he um It's all a collaboration. Said, it's all, sure, you've got to work together, you know? Uh, Chris, you got any advice for Carlos? I think when it comes to being on the sidelines and all that kind of thing, it's better to let your emotions sit underneath than react in the moment um, because your players will often look to you as as the source of, you know, kind of guidance or wisdom. Even when you're not giving them instructions, you're still kind of teaching them, if that makes sense. And I think when it comes to the actual 
tactics and the coaching point. It's it's great to have an ideology, and I think it's very admirable that you want to play that particular way. In the same breath, I would say be adaptable to the team that you have. If if you don't have technical players, encouraging them to play passing football all the time will likely just demotivate them. So make sure that you play into their strengths and, and at the same time try to find ways to improve them week on week. Mm. And make sure they're alpha male. Very important. Uh, good advice there, I think, from uh, from from us guys. Uh, let's finish. Finally, a great I'll question. I'll beta male. Once again, from uh, Joshin Thunder Lager. Always sending in very, very interesting questions. This week, he says, if you could have dinner with three people from history, and they must be from football, A, B, movies, and C, a historical figure, who are your front three? Great podcast. Um, very interesting question. Joshin, uh, thank you very much for sending it in. First off, a football figure you'd love to have dinner with. Um, for me, I'd want to pick the brains of Pep Guardiola. You know, a tactical genius, an interesting character as well. I think he'd be quite enlightening in a sort of relaxed dinner conversation. He'd be a good person to have around. Be very fascinating. Uh, movies, tough one. Um, maybe someone like Jack Nicholson, you know, an all-time great actor. Someone, again, he's got a bit of personality. He'd be absolute riot at dinner, you know, a few drinks down him. He'd have a few stories, Jack Nicholson, let me tell you. Uh, and a historical figure who'd blend with both Pep Guardiola and Jack Nicholson off the top of my head, who's also incredibly interesting. I'd go for, right now, let's go for Barack Obama. Because I'd like to pick his brain, you know, if he would be candid, if he'd be honest, his current thoughts on, you know, the political landscape around the world, how things are developing, how things are changing. I think that's a nice balance, you know. Barack Obama's a nice, relaxed, kind of calm talker, uh, knows how to get on people's good side. You've got Jack Nicholson there for the fun and games, Pep Guardiola for the sort of intellectual side. Interesting conversation, you know. Quite a fun just... guy. Who, Pep? Yeah. Yeah, Not, less so than Jack Nicholson. Uh, Lawrence, who Hi. would be the figures you would pick from those three very different sort of zones? They have to be alive now. No, you can have a historical... Um, no, you can resurrect them. Bill Shankly. Oh, very good. Very Bill good. Shankly, um, Jeremy Corbyn, and... Um, He's the historical figure, it, yeah. It would be a quiet fit. It would be a quiet dinner, I'll give you that. And um, Margaret Thatcher, just for the lols. Who's the one from the movies? There's one um, historical figure, do you one remember movies. The, uh, do you remember the film about Margaret Thatcher? So you'd have Meryl Streep playing Margaret Thatcher at yeah, the... Yeah, yeah. I suppose she's in yeah. character the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah she's, I like she's, that. I like that a lot. She's wearing a full... Um, yeah, of course. A full tracksuit. Tra tra tracksuit? Um, yeah. Uh, like just to keep it sort of football-based. Yeah. Know? Yeah, you've got to make it all... Yeah. I, I like that. They would all sort of blend together. I like that. You've, you've got a very yeah. nice sort of... A nice flow of conversation I can see happening there. Uh, I think Bill of. would like it. It'd be, like he'd, be, he'd be pretty confused, I'd imagine, by Meryl Streep 
being there in a full tracksuit as Margaret Thatcher refusing to break character. It'd all be very surreal. You, but, but like, but, sli- but slightly aroused. Do you know? So sort oh, yeah. of, he sort of likes it. Yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? One hundred percent. Yeah. Um, Chris is the. I don't know how to follow that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's um, difficult, but you've got to. I'm gonna say Johan Cruyff. Uh, in terms of uh, an actor or or actress, I'm gonna say Kevin Spacey. Um, I've been fortunate enough to to see him interviewed in person once, and he was very interesting. I feel like a a more one on one conversation would be great. And a historical figure. Uh, I am reading the Art of War at the minute, so Sun Tzu, and I'm going to assume that there's no linguistic Fuck. barriers. Otherwise, yeah. it's a really long night. Yeah, no. there's some magical <laughs> translation thing going on. That is a very interesting Chris, dinner party. I like, we I we went it. down a similar route, Kristen and I. We've got uh, you. You went for the Art of War. I went for Margot Thatcher. Yeah, in many ways, guys. That is that is a fantastic question. So do let us know on Twitter who would be your free dinner party guests. Great who question. Who do you think would have? Um, I think Dave would have. Dave would Jose, have Mourinho. Jose Mourinho. Jose Mourinho. Carol Vorderman, Georgie Best, and. Uh, what movie is Carol Vorderman in? That's, you know. You don't want to know. Oh, here we go. I regret asking that. I knew immediately as I said it. Let's save it for. Let's let Dave answer next week. I want to find out what the guys on Twitter, the listeners, are thinking. Cause it's such a great question. Yeah, Do send us in your suggestions and let us know why you've picked You know your particular stars from the world of football, the world of movies, and the stars of history. Great question. Um, but that does wrap up this week's Front Free Football podcast, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure to be here. I hope you've had as much fun listening as we have recording this week. Before we go, I do just want to say very briefly, uh, a, a big thank you to everyone who messaged me on Twitter and Instagram to congratulate me on my engagement uh, last week. Really nice messages on Twitter from all the listeners out there. Um, so thank you very much. It was very uh, heartwarming to see that. I have to say, um, surprising that... you didn't actually invite your girlfriend to the dinner. But fair enough, mate. Yeah, you know, I mean, she's not from the world of football movies or a historical figure, as it were. I thought it was just a given. You know, we'd be there together almost with Jack and Pep and who was the other one? Barack Obama. Yeah, I'm not sure she's that much fun. Though. Brilliant. Yeah. Who's uh, the other one? What? Who was the ex-president? Who's the that ex-president? guy? Who is he? Yeah, yeah. fair enough. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening. Please do leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, all you have to do is click on the link in the description of this very podcast. You can rate and review the front for you. That could be a little engagement present to me, you know, to send us in a review, preferably five stars. I mean, it'd be pretty salty if you didn't send five stars as an engagement present. Uh, and we will read out the best reviews each week, uh, awarding that best review the coveted status of Hole of the Week. There were no reviews this week. So there is no Hole of the Week. There is no winner. There's no winner of the Ferrero Rocher, which is famously, infamously, given to the winner of Hole of the Week. So do get in your reviews for next week. Until then, when Dave O'Brien will be back from his uh, his fantastic time in Croatia, Chris Hennage, where can the whole, where can the good people find more of you? Uh, making the office-related jokes on the front three Twitter. Super fire banter that was chris very very good um lawrence mckenna where can people find more of you uh at lozcast l-o-z-c-a-s-t on on twitter lovely um, stuff uh you can find me 20k the other day did you wow that yeah. is impressive uh guys go and inflate my numbers so i can get 
closer, but not that much closer to 20k. I think I'm on 5k, something like at the moment. So give me an ego boost. Go 5k follow me. is like a nice number. Yeah, I'm happy with it. Uh, at Adam Boltwood on Twitter, B O U L T Wood, in case you can't spell Boltwood. Do your uh, parents ever ask you about your followers, how many followers you've got? No, they don't care, mate. They don't, they don't know what's going on. They don't know what Twitter is. Because I found Facebook it wonderfully is. quaint that my dad asked me and then went, wow, that's that's almost more than what Sunderland used to get at Roger Park. How many are you on now, Brilliant. Chris? Like 17. Like some, It's so funny to me that he equates it as literal, like, you know, you fill a stadium almost, oh, yeah. when really it's it's not that at all. Yeah. It, it's also weird for Boltwood because uh, Boltwood, he, he actually couldn't propose until he hit uh, a certain number of followers. Um, what do you mean? That sort of relationship. What do you mean? Oh, right. Well, she she wouldn't have she... you. Oh, yeah, of course. 4K, she just pathetic. Why would she accept someone who... Yeah, yeah she, was, she, she was trying to... Why would she accept a little She was trying to hold like off that. until I had a blue tick, but I just said, listen, love, it's not happening. You know, settle now and, uh, you know, let's do this. And here we are. Uh, guys, <laughs> thank now. you so... <laughs> settle now. No blue tick and coming that's when he anyway. opened the ring box. Yeah. <laughs> Let's um, let's I wrap up there, ladies tip, and gentlemen. I've certainly got a blue. All right, okay, exactly. moving on. Leave it. Let's leave it right there, uh, guys. Enjoy your week. Let us know if there's any interesting. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just sixty bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market transfer rumors out there in the next seven days you want us to talk about on next week's podcast until then thank you for listening we'll see you next week on the front 